This is alternative history. Darn it! This is alternative. <laughs> oh my god! This is alternative history. Welcome to the Alternative History Podcast. I am your host, Brian, and with me as always is... Rodrigo. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the movie Assault on Precinct 13. It came out in 1976 and was remade in 2005. 2005? That's the year that Ice Cube dropped Are We There Yet? and Triple X, State of the Union. Only two movies? Only two movies. What a bum. That concludes the Ice Cube portion of this podcast. We've been we've been making Ice Cube references pretty much every episode this season. References, running jokes, or just shout outs to Ice Cube. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, it has been the hardest part of the season. We went through unexpected trips and injuries and just a whole bunch of other like like insanely inclement weather here in the city of Milwaukee where it's been it's been like below zero for like a week. It was like 30 below zero, 40 below zero. We were still recording our podcast. The hardest thing was trying to figure out an intro that involved Ice Cube every episode. And we tried to be seamless every now and then. It was kind of off the rails. Like, we couldn't yeah. be so seamless, but that's just part of the game. A couple times, I just... We would be researching <laughs> stuff for the episode and then just be like, oh, we don't have an Ice Cube intro. I just want to be like... Ice Cube! And then just start talking about the episode. But we, but we made it. We did and, a little better. Yeah, so... So yeah, this is our actual season finale for the second season. Correct. It is going to be the last episode of the second season of our podcast. But we will be back for a third season. So what we, we really liked the 2005 version of Assault on Precinct 13. And we want to talk about it. So it is... Kind of an alternative history to the original one. I'm not even kind of. We even talked about off mic that essentially anytime you see a remake of a movie, it is like a rewrite. Essentially, no matter yeah. what, it's an alternative history. And I think that except for that Psycho remake we were talking about, which is a shot, 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 shot remake. Thank goodness yeah. that this is not that. And uh, as we said in the past, we can do what we want. We try to do what we want with the show for the most part, either perceptions yeah. or change idea, uh, try change to keep the result. it within some kind of framework right. of alternative history, but. And Anywhere so, within that frame, we allow ourselves to go. And so in this case, we were looking at like a movie or two movies that didn't do so well financially or weren't seen by a lot of people, but which are movies I think are very good and I think that people should see. And I saw the first one many years ago not knowing it was a remake. When I found out it was a remake, I wanted to see the remake. The I, had, I had known it was a remake. I had only seen parts of the original when I saw it. I, I like playing movies before from that, from that 70s era, and this movie reminded me, or rather, I had seen this movie a long time ago. Like, there were like a trio of movies I've seen a lot growing up. This one I've only seen a few times, but it was in that trio. It reminded me a lot of Bad Boys with Sean Penn, which I watched a lot, and The Warriors, which I watched an awful lot. This movie really kind of hit my heart with those two movies. Like It was just sure. like the, the greenness and the synthesizer music and like just the youth gone wild, if you will. So like... Like it was a really interesting film, and as we said, the first one was a, the first one we saw was 2005. We wanted to go back and study the first one and either see if the first one was better, which one was better, or if the one needed to be made, or things of that nature. Again, perception and or perhaps a alternative history. Maybe it shouldn't have been made. 
Definitely. So we're going to, before we get into talking about the actual movies, uh, what we like to do is if we're in a year, we like to discuss that year. We're actually going to be in two years this year, 76 and 2005. So we're going to discuss both of those years. Go over some of the pop culture items of those years. Start out with movies. At the 48th Academy Awards on March 29, 1976, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest dominates. It essentially wins Best Picture, Best Actor for Jack Nicholson, Best Actress for Louise Fletcher, and Best Director for Miles Foreman. And lastly, it won Best Adapted Screenplay. So it, had a, it was a, it's a very good movie. dominant film. The movies that came out that year, first top highest grossing worldwide. Uh, number five was The Omen. Number four was All the President's Men. Number three was A Star is Born. Number two is To Fly. And number one was Rocky. You know me, Brian. We've been doing this for a little bit here. When it comes to these movie lists, I try to, over the last year, I've been trying to like not get it too listy because I know it gets boring. Yeah. But for this year, I am going to get a little more listy because I want to bring up not only the movies that were good or the ones that I liked. Both of these years, almost, there are so many of these films that either end up getting remade or are remakes. So I'm going to note that in both 76 and 2005. And I'm sure you know because you, you looked it up as well. So movies that came out that were notable in Assault on Prison 13, Bad News Bears, and Carrie. All those movies get remade. A movie by an actor you love comes out in 1976. It's called Gator. Yeah, Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, yep. He's also in Silent Movie, which came out that year. I didn't even have that one. Very good. There's a cameo. But. King Kong, which in 1976 was a remake. Comes out in 1933 movie. And then, ironically enough, will get remade in 2005. Yes. A movie came out called Logan's Run. A movie I liked that I only saw on TV back in the day. I haven't seen it anymore. It was a movie called Mako, Jaws of Death. A movie came out called Marathon Man. Network, as I said, The Omen, The Outlaw, Josie Wales, Rocky, Silver Streak, The Song Remains the Same, A Star is Born, which I mentioned earlier, but again, that was a remake in 1976, I mean, 1933 film, I believe, and then again, it's remade in 2018, and then a movie called Sybil, and a film called Taxi Driver. Yeah, Taxi Driver is a very good movie. Movies that I found of uh, of note uh, were was Silent Movie, um, that was Mel Brooks' movie, Hilarious, Burt Reynolds mm-hmm. was in it, Carrie. Um, King Kong because you know I I really liked the 76 version that was the that was my my King Kong version when I was a kid all the president's men just because of how timely the movie is now because that was a movie about the Watergate scandal and a president possibly you know committing a crime and with what were all these investigations that are going on now I mean it it is a very timely movie again Mm -hmm. and Rocky just because I love Everything Rocky Balboa. Yep. Uh, all the movies. I love the Creed movies. I've seen every one of them. I haven't seen um, the second one yet. I plan to soon. One thing to me that's telling about how different 1976 was from where we are now is the movie, the second highest grossing movie, To Fly. That was a documentary about hot air balloons. Yeah. <laughs> so insane. I don't know how interesting hot air balloons are. Apparently, in 1976, they were all the rage. So, so let's go to 2005 movies. At the 77th Academy Awards, held on February 7, 2005, Aviator leads and wins with five Oscars, including Best Supporting Actress for for Kate Blanchett. However, Million Dollar Baby wins four of the big ones. It wins Best Picture, Best Director for Clint Eastwood, Best Actress for Hilary Swank, and Best Supporting Actor for Morgan Freeman. The top five highest-grossing movies worldwide in 2005 were King Kong, War of the Worlds, another remake, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and number one was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. 
movies that came out in 2005 which were either notable or that I liked, or again that were remakes, were uh, Coach Carter, Assault on Precinct 13, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Kicking and Screaming, Star Wars Episode, episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Cinderella Man, Lords of Dogtown, Batman Begins, War of the Worlds, Charlie the Chocolate Factory, Wedding Crashers, Bad News Bears, Hustle and Flow, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, The Constant Gardener, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Oliver Twist, yet again another remake, Serenity, Northern Country, Walk the Line, Brokeback Mountain, and as I said, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Witch, The Lion, The Witch, The Wardrobe, King Kong, and a movie I end up finding in our, in our uh, study of Kevin Costner for The Waterworld episode was a movie called Rumor Has It. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. It wasn't terrible. I thought it was be lame, but it was actually pretty funny to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy uh, most Kevin Costner films. So the movies of me that of note were King Kong, just because it was a remake of the 76 version. I actually did end up liking the 2005 version of it. I mean, it was like three hours long. Wait, was it a remake of the 76 version or the, the remake of the original original? It was the re- remake of the original, but okay. the 76 it was, was pretty much, the yeah, they, they're, they're right, pretty right, much, right. they didn't change it too too much on either, either version. Brokeback Mountain, just because I mentioned before, I'm a big fan of that movie. The, uh, one thing that was interesting to me, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Harry Potter, and War of the Worlds top, were in the top five, all movies based on books. Yeah. And Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that was with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. The thing that I find interesting about this movie is the fact that, so when Brad Pitt made this movie, he broke up with his wife, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Yeah, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston, yeah. And then... He made another movie about a couple who were spies, who were married. Same with this movie. And when he made that movie, he ended up, when that movie came out, he ended up breaking up with his what second wife. For, 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 so, just for posterity's sake, like, what was that movie called? Uh, Allied. Allied, very yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if Brad Pitt's listening. I would stay away from the married spy movies. If you're married. If you're yeah, married. yeah. So, just, I mean, pretty good. I would I would steer clear of those. <laughs> just... If, if Mr. Pitt cares to take any advice from a couple of lowlifes like us. But, and one movie that I came out and I absolutely despised was Wedding Crashers. I thought it was going to be funny. It was actually, I mean, it was kind of funny, but funny part, yeah. I just get so weary about these movies where some, like, affable white dudes trick some women into liking them and basically start their their relationship on some kind of huge gigantic lie but requires this female to overlook that just to make the movie work right where in real life if i started if i started my life with jessica under some false assumption that i was like a really awesome dude i I let her know right away i'm kind of a i'm kind of a scumbag right right? (laughs) you know you need to see what you're getting you need to be honest yes i hear you i hear you these guys, they weren't like that. They they, they did a, a whole bunch of lying and cavorting and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. And he, he's kind of like a man whore, right? And like the sure. and that, that's acceptable back then, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it just it's just such, such stupid. A lot of romantic comedies set up this way, where the male is allowed to get away with murder, and the woman is you know supposed to forgive all yeah, his uh, yeah. transgressions. So. I thought that was the, that hit the pinnacle of insanity with that with the movie Wedding Crashers, which I think is not worth spending any time on anymore. So let's go on to TV. In 2017, top of the charts, top two sitcoms: Milwaukee-based Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. 1976. 1976. Sorry, okay. So Milwaukee was kicking butt in the sitcom world. 
number three is the ABC Monday Night Movie. Number four is MASH. And number five is Charlie's Angels. Other shows of note, All in the Family, Three's Company, Welcome Back, Cotter, all three shows that I really loved. And these are uh, other shows that I really loved. What's Happening, Good Times, Sanford and Son, and The Jeffersons. I really like MASH. I told you I watched that show. That was, that's one of the first shows that I actually watched from beginning to end in syndication. Ooh, yeah. At 10.30 at night in Milwaukee. I don't, something about that show just it made me... I don't know if it was like the the drab coloring or or the fact that they they went into surgery and surgery makes me nauseous. Mm. Just cutting people open, mm. the thought of it makes me want to throw up. But uh, I just I just couldn't get into it. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, I hear you. But it was an interesting show. I liked it. 2005, top TV show, number one and two, American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> If you've listened to any of the previous you episodes, like you know much. my disdain yes, for yes. how American Idol operates on the airwaves with um, how they can take the, the one and two slot. You don't appreciate that very much. Three is CSI, number four is Desperate Housewives, and number five is Grey's Anatomy, which I believe is still on the air. I think you're right. Yeah. Never watched it. Other TV shows, Rome was on HBO, a very good, very good show. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I hate uh, that show. Everybody loves that show. Like that. I watched fun. it for a couple seasons. And it, it kind of was like a uh, demented version of Seinfeld for a while. So everybody tried to tell me. About and then it just kind of, and then it kind of went off the rails and just got kind of towed the line between um, funny and downright criminal, mm-hmm. possibly. I hear you. Um, like creepy crim- criminal. I, I that's not like possible. Yeah. I don't know. The Boondocks. Uh, good show. Adult Swim, very good show. show. And Lost was on. We we watched. You we watched mess that show. I never that. watched that. I thought that show was dumb. Uh, good and dumb. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shut up, Rodrigo. All right. Top music, 1976. Top five songs. Silly Love Song by Wings, number one. Number two is Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John. I will certainly try not to, Sir Elton. Disco Lady by Johnny Taylor. Oh, What a Night by The Four Seasons. Uh, Excellent song. Both of them are pretty good, actually. Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. Other music that came out, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. An album came out, Frampton Comes Alive. Blondie dropped, I believe it was their initial album. And Rodrigo's favorite. Come on, you don't know My lie. favorite. That's not my favorite. <laughs> Rush dropped what is quite possibly the quintessential rock album, one of the best albums ever made, 2112. <laughs> not quintessential, not my favorite band at all, and... Actually, one of my least favorite bands, Ray Rush, released the album in 1976. Tell me about the music that came out in 2005. Rod, you just did me a favor. That came out in 1976. I'm gonna cut all those knots out. No, (laughs) you're not. (laughs) It will be happening. 2005 top music, "We Belong Together" by Mariah Carey. That's better than anything on that 2012 album. (laughs) That's the next best song in 2005. Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani. Bananas. Let Me Love You by Ma- Mario. Just Mario? I don't know. I think it's just Mario. There's no... Do you know who he is? No. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of Mario. I mean, it could be Lopez. I mean, there is all Mario, but he's followed by brothers. <laughs> no. It's none of those dudes. Okay. Uh, Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. One Two Step by Ciara and Missy Elliott. 
Interesting. I've never heard that one before. Have you? I remember that, yeah. Okay. Other music, Gold Digger by Kanye West. That was an excellent song. I like that song, yeah. Very, I love that song a lot. Albums were dropped by White Stripes, Foo Fighters, My Morning Jacket, and Audio Slave. So in the news, uh, we have 1976. It was America's Bicentennial. Uh, we were officially 200 years old. Apple Computers was uh, formed by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Mm-hmm. would go on to essentially revolutionize the way everyone operates. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter is elected president, and the Olympics were in Montreal. Winter Olympics were held in Innsbruck, Austria. Top news, 2005. George W. Bush sworn in for a second term. The U.S. is in the early stages of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Saddam Hussein goes on trial for crimes against humanity. Uh, Rosa Parks passes away, and Hunter S. Thompson dies. Um, his He uh, committed suicide. He had his ashes blown out of a huge cannon by Johnny Depp after he died. Really? He had, I think Johnny Depp spent a couple million dollars having this huge, gigantic cannon made and just shot the hell out of his ashes into the... Uh, it may have reached the stratosphere. I don't know. I have not heard but, that. But, yeah. In the world of sports, in 1976, in Super Bowl X on January 18th, the Steelers defeat the Cowboys 21-17. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Seattle Seahawks are founded. The 1976 European Championship, Czechoslovakia beats West Germany 5-3 in PKs after the game ended 2-2 two two after extra time. In that game, Czechoslovakian midfielder Panenka scores a penalty kick in which he... Deftly chips the goalkeeper. It's a now called the Panenka. It's a famous movie. If I was West Germany and I lost, that would have been like, you couldn't have beat us if we were the whole Germany. Perhaps. That's that's, that's what I'd have said. Right. That would have put him right. In 1976, the Reds sweep the New York Yankees four games to zero for the second of back-to-back championships. Uh, This was the big red machine, one of the greatest teams of all time. Bobby Knight's Indiana defeats Michigan 86-68 in the NCAA final. And the, uh, I have the Celtics beating the Phoenix Suns four games to two in the NBA Finals. Uh, on September 28th, Muhammad Ali controversially defeats Ken Norman at Yankee Stadium in 15 rounds to keep his heavyweight title. Uh, and like you said, the Olympics were held in Austria and Montreal that year. In the world of sports in 2005, the New England Patriots defeat the Philadelphia Eagles 24-21 to in Super Bowl 39. Uh, in the UEFA Champions League in Istanbul, Liverpool defeats AC Milan 3-2 on PKs after going down 3-0 and tying the game 3-3 after extra time. The White Sox defeat the Astros, sweeping them four games to zero in the World Series. This was the White Sox' first championship since 1917. The Spurs defeat the Pistons in the NBA's first seven-game series in 11 seasons, winning their third championship in seven years. UNC defeats Illinois 75-70 in the NCAA Final. This is Coach Roy Williams' first title. Lastly, Tiger Woods wins the Master and British Opens, winning half of that year's major tournaments. There you have it with the two years, Brian. So let's break into the movie right away. Do you want to take care of Assault on Precinct 13, 1976? I would love to. Assault on Precinct 13 came out in 1976. It was released on November 5th, 1976, directed by John Carpenter. It was made for $100,000, $100,000 budget. And you would think that it was guaranteed to make money on a movie made so modestly. No, it only made a little over $11,000 at the box office. Uh, it did go on to become a cult sensation. So 
I'm almost positive it made back it's a hundred thousand dollar budget I don't we don't really have the home video figures or any kind of re-release figures but the popularity of the movie surged significantly after it was made it like many movies or even music stars after friendly here in the United States it went to Europe and received ecstatic reviews and then took off yeah definitely yeah and and when we were talking about movies that it reminded you of uh, it did remind me a lot of the Bonnie and Clyde movie that we talked about for the Bonnie and Clyde episode. So it had kind of like that new French New Wave kind of, I don't want to say ultra-violent, but you know. The real violence. Real violent, mm-hmm. you know. Or seemingly real violence. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that when we talk about this movie. It is said to be based off of Rio Bravo and influenced by Night of the Living Dead. If you watch the movie, you can definitely see the influence from Night, Night of the Living, Living Dead. Dead definitely, sure. it is. It is so it's basically very off-putting. Right? Pre- yeah. Oh yeah, essentially, yeah. it's a zombie movie. Precinct is actually Precinct Nine in the movie. Precinct Nine, Division Thirteen. It was originally going to be called the Anderson Alamo, and then the Siege. Those were the names that Carpenter preferred, and it ended up being retitled to Assault on Precinct Thirteen by the distributor because it had a more ominous sound to it, yep. which leads more into the fact that I'm I'm almost convinced that this is a horror movie. You think so? Like it just yeah, seems, yeah. it just seems that way. The way the way it, it, it it's structured and the, the way the, the villains are portrayed. John yes. Carpenter, you yeah. and John Carpenter, yeah. The movie sets up with very little context for the main characters. What we end up seeing right off the bat is that there's a group of gang members that are killed rather relentlessly by some police officers. And the next scene is there's four gang members of different ethnicities doing a blood oath. This it is terrifying. Like it, this, this affected me when I was a kid. Like As I said, I talked to you about this off mic and other times in the show. My dad used to let us watch whatever, you know, so I watched plenty of movies I shouldn't have watched. And I remember watching, as I, as I said, I remember watching the, 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 the Warriors, and I remember watching the uh, uh, Bad Boys, and I remember the scene in Bad Boys where he pops them with, with those quarters, or, or no. Yeah, and a sock. And sock, right? He yes. messes them up, gets real messed up. Yes. And like, similarly, I, I really remember the scene like, where they bleed, like, like they bleed into it, and like, now I'm horrified just because of like the, the, the hygienic aspects of it, but back then, it was just like, oh wow, this is horrifying. It's if I would have seen this when I was a kid, I'd have been like, Oh my God! And then I and then I would have been all my buddies been like, we need to make a blood oath. Hey, Bill, I'm glad that you go get your mom's Tupperware bowl. We're making a blood oath. But when I see it today, all I thought was like, well, two things. Where did where did these gang members get such a nice bowl from? Did they sure? Were they shopping for it? Were they were they kind of like, hmm? Hey, do you like this bowl? I don't know. It should be clear because right, right. we're mixing our blood together. And second, who cleaned it? Or do you just leave? Like when you're done making the blood oath, do you have to leave the blood oath sitting out for a while till it coagulates and then Ugh, it turns I'm like sorry. eventually kind of dehydrates and turns into like a kind of like a plasma. I don't know. But anyhow, they make the blood oath, and then from there, so the blood oath they're gonna get vengeance for the sake that we're killed. Yes, and uh, they're not very clear on how they're going to get their vengeance, and they're kind of just driving around aimlessly. Menacingly, not aimlessly. Menacingly. Menacingly. I thought it seemed kind of aimlessly, but they're looking for trouble, yeah. right? And then you cut through through a bunch of scenes where you see this cop. He is, his name is Bishop. Bishop. 
and he he's I believe he is is his first day as like a sergeant or a lieutenant. Lieutenant. I can't lieutenant. Yep. And he has he gets assigned to go to precinct nine to close it down. Yep. Yeah. They're closing. He needs to be there for to be a supervisor there as it's as it's shutting down for its last night. Also in the same setup is a father and his daughter. From from what I understand, they're looking for an address because he's going to ask their former like nanny slash housekeeper to come live with them. Correct. Which is just a weird. And I think it was. It's not that weird. Remember the seventies? That was that was like a trope in TV shows. They were playing nannies living with each other. Yeah, and I, I think it was a way for the movie to try to get a uptight white dude, middle class white dude, into a <laughs> crime ridden area, yeah. right? So. With the assumption that, you know, there is no crime in white neighborhoods. Right. So then there's also the setup for the criminals who are end up in the precinct. They're at another area, and that's where we meet uh, Napoleon Wilson. And I don't know about you, you tell me, what did you think about the, the actor's acting? Did he seem good to you, or did he seem... I thought the dialogue was kind of choppy. In this yeah, like, I, I so have a hard time determining sometimes if it's a dialogue. Like, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was, no, I, I thought the dialogue was kind of silly on some of it, like, and I thought it was a little choppy, so like... At first, it was hard to get into, but eventually, like, I'm able to, like, deal with it. But in the beginning, I was, like, a little turned off, to be honest. Yeah. Not turned yeah. off, that word, but... Uh, he but just seemed kind of, like, stiff. Yeah. And, I mean, it may not have been his fault, because the main line that he had throughout the entire film was, got a smoke. Say, oh, he said it, like, seven or, yeah. Did he say cigarette? Cigarette. Got was, a cigarette, got a smoke. Like, he was asking for a cigarette, essentially. All the time. No one would ever give him one, and then he finally got one. But anyhow. And so, as they're... they're for some reason, they got to transport all these criminals so we got this napoleon guy we got apollo creed's trainer uh, i forget what his name is in the movie and then we got another guy who you, know, you can just tell he's sick he's yep. if you see someone who looks pale and is very sweaty he hasn't been working Coughing out up alone. he's, he's dying yep. and, and he probably has something yep. you don't want so then we see them they're getting transferred and then while this is happening, the dad can't find... The nanny. The nanny. Yep. He's having a hard time because he doesn't know the neighborhood. So he stops at a payphone, and then his little daughter runs off because when you're in the middle of nowhere and you have no idea where you are, the best thing to do is not pay attention to where your daughter is. Yes. Or any of your children. Correct. Let them run free. That's what I say. Well, the ice cream guy, who had been seeing these criminals driving around, and he's kind of like... I know the score. I'm the ice cream man. These yeah. guys are up to no good, and and he knows they're up to no good, and he's about to hightail it out of there. And then the little girl's like, "Can I get a uh, vanilla swirl?" Vanilla swirl, right? And then he's like, "Oh, I'm closed." And then he's like, and then she's like, "Oh, come on!" And then, and then why is the music on? Yeah, exactly. Why is the music on? So then he looks in his rear view, and the and the criminals are out of sight. And then he's like, "Okay, the thugs are gone." Let me get you some ice cream. And then she lingers for a minute because guess what? Wasn't Vanilla Swirl ice cream man. He was too busy worrying about whether or not these bad guys are coming back. Well, not to correct you, but she walked away first. She was eating her thing. And that, oh, yeah, yeah. As she was walking away yeah. is when the gangsters like come out of nowhere. Exactly. Cap the yeah. ice cream man. As he comes, as, as they cap the ice cream guy, she comes back and she's like, this is a Vanilla Swirl. <laughs> and then the gangster violently shoots her in the chest. Exactly. Not to laugh at that part, but yes, he shoots her, which is insanely off-putting. If you're just watching a movie and it's you see a just, little girl just get point-blank shot in the chest while she's eating ice cream, that's brutal as hell. After they committed a blood oath to, yes. to, to do something. Yeah, so it was kind of rough. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, so they, from what I read in the research for this movie or for this episode is that that scene almost made an NC-17. 
that they yeah, had to fight. Is, to get the, they it, had to fight it, the it, I mean, it's still off-putting when you see it now, well, and I, I can't. I mean, I can only imagine that's why like this movie wasn't run on Channel 18 in Milwaukee. Agreed. At night, that, because it's like it's central to the plot. Like you can't get around it, and, other and you movies, can't cut it out. And other movies show some terrible stuff. Like I say, yeah. Bad Boys was on 18. Oh yeah, all and the time. That had some awful stuff in yes. it too. But it wasn't. So it was a soda can that he put in the socket. Exactly. Think, yeah. It was a quarter. It was a soda can. It was, exactly. There was some awful stuff in that film, but it wasn't like seeing a child get murdered. Wow. Well, yeah. Which is it, like insane. But anyhow, so then as the ice cream man is dying and as the father comes and just looks at The gangsters drop off, dip out. Yeah, they and take And the dad off. sees his daughters on the ground. Yeah, so then, he goes and then the ice cream man is like, Oh, the gun under the, under the, under the dash. And then the dad, rather than... Uh, check to see if maybe his daughter may have survived or call the police or call the police or stay with his dying daughter Daughter, he decides he needs to get revenge right now Bronson style so he grabs the gun yep he grabs the gun drives after these street toughs ends up chasing him down so this is the part that kind of was a little off-putting. There were some off-putting moments where there's these weird pauses before violence occurs, and I don't know if it's if that's a stylistic choice or if it was just bad acting or whatever. I'm, I'm thinking it was a stylistic choice because it was done in several areas. But right before the little girl gets shot, or and before the ice cream man gets shot, that one dude who has that huge, gigantic <laughs> rifle with the silencer on it, just kind of like is just eerily staring at him. Real like, vacant. Yeah. Real. Like, and I think, think it had to do with like maybe some kind of representation of like their soulless beings. Yeah. Their you know lowest of the low criminals, and then maybe this dad turns into that too when he decides to become a vigilante, uh, Bronson style. He comes up and he meets these bad guys, and then they jump out of the car and they all run except for the one dude who's got this huge oversized gun. He chases them. Remember, like it's light out, and all of a sudden it's dark as hell by the time. Yeah, he yeah. I don't know if a lot of time has passed, but they make it seem like a significant amount of time has oh. passed. Oh well, yeah, maybe. Maybe, but maybe it was just dusk and turning into dark. Could have been, but it yeah. seemed like a while. But it seemed like you know, like you said, one of those like in the interim. Yeah, in the interim, the uh, the the bishop, the lieutenant, has gotten to the precinct and is you know talking about what's going on and he's getting the the lowdown that the precinct's closing. We get to meet who's all there. We don't get huge intros to any of the characters, but we do just kind of get enough to know that they're police officers yeah. and a couple of administrative people yeah. that are working in the office. So then, yeah, the dad catches the guy, shoots the the dude who... But it was it was a Mission Impossible to see type scene where, like, he chases them. All of a sudden, like, the toughs, like, sprint out and turn around and they face up car to car like face yeah, to face yeah 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 <laughs> dumb and then like you say three of the gangsters run out run away and then the off putting dude with the rifle and the father I would assume that uh, if you're a proper gangster you would all have a weapon right but obviously they didn't he was this little the white guy was the only one with a huge gun yes. the littlest guy has got the biggest gun and then the dad they basically it, it's a draw right and then he shoots and kills him. He doesn't kill the son of He doesn't get killed. Like like the dad survives. Like he doesn't even get the shot. Like the other shot. guy doesn't even get a shot on. Nonsense. Yeah. He's just like, standing there looking at him. I'm like, yeah. you're a trained criminal, right? You just killed two people in cold blood. Just shoot him. Shoot him. And he, he won't. Yes. So here, so the dad shoots him. Here's where the movie for me was a little dumbish. Instead of getting in his car and driving off, the father walks away. Yeah. Yeah, finds, job, well, job well done. He thinks walks away, finds a payphone. He's in no no hurry to get back to his dying daughter, or or which we don't even know where it is. Identify now, her corpse. Exactly. You know? So like he 
he goes to the payphone, and this is where like the zombie-like scene of gangsters come out because like a couple gangsters start eerily walking towards him. Yeah. And yeah. so he, you know, can't make the phone call, runs off and goes to the police station. He, he just so happened to murder this guy within walking distance of, of a police station. Of a police station. And nobody heard. Precinct nine, no less. And what's something we didn't talk about at this point? Weren't the the criminals diverted to this police station? Yeah, they were being uh, uh, brought in because the, guy, they, got the guy got sick. Yep, and then they're they're being brought in through the back. And as that's happening, this guy comes running in, and he just he goes he he goes mute from, again this is... from trauma. She's shocked. I guess. Yes, exactly. Shock. We're supposed to suspend his belief that he cannot talk. Yes, and he just he, he he's ill. Like and. Right, granted, my, I've never lost a child. I'm not trying to make light of that. Yeah. And that was, I get that's traumatic and that could cause shock. The problem is that while in this shock, he just went off and you know, killed the person and then did some dumb <laughs> shit. So it's kind of hard to like put the two together. I and, guess then as, and, the, and then as the assault on Precinct 13 he just falls asleep. is happening, yeah, he's just sitting there in a blanket. Passed out. Like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm nice and cozy. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, the tra- I understand how trauma works and... I understand that it can affect everyone slightly different, and it may be delayed. But you would think that when all this is happening, you'd be like, "Kind of got an idea why this is happening." Uh, you started the whole situation. You're like, you're yeah, the this, is, this might all be on me. If I would have just paid better attention to my daughter when I was making oh a phone my call, gosh, exactly. She probably wanna. We probably wouldn't even be here. No. Yep. Yeah. Or if that damn ice cream man would have gave her the, the uh, vanilla, the vanilla swirl. swirl, like he it, so. That's two culprits right there that we can... You can never know. Exactly. Yeah. At least Ice Cream Man got his. But, um, so, and then pretty much the the assault on Precinct starts right right from there, right? The You can see them, they're kind of like, they kind of like, there's like a park across the street or a parking lot, and then they kind of just like come out of the woods like uh, like zombies yep. almost, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Reminiscent of something from uh, Night of the Living Dead. Reminiscent of a scene that I just saw from The Walking Dead from this current season. And then they just start shooting the place up. And they kind of, they're able to withstand the first go-round. A couple cops, uh, I, th- I believe two of the police officers get shot that were with them. And then the the, the guy that was in charge of the, the criminals, the criminals get gets, shot, too, gets yeah. shot. At this point, the criminals are all locked up. And then when the second uh, assault occurs... Um, they unlock them, they get extra guns, and then they basically are shooting fish in a barrel. And this is a really weird scene because all these, and I think there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as bad writing slash dumbest criminals ever, or good writing and these are zombie, like soulless creatures as we kind of were talking about. Mm. I prefer to think about it in the latter, where it's they just keep coming in through the windows, right? They're not stopping. They're yeah, like a plague. It's like getting capped. Yeah, and, and then they're just yeah. Yeah, yeah. and just killing all of them, right? And whenever there's like an intimate death, it's like you say, it's this weird slowdown, weird like pause, like a weird beat. Yeah, like they have like no soul, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they're just they're just and they're like they're not thinking. They're just kind of like reacting slowly, like someone would who had no brain function and was just relying mm-hmm. on you know muscle memory or something, but. So then they shoot all these up, all these guys up. They all die, and then, and then they're trying to figure out what to do because they're low on ammo after they withstood this last surge. So then, what they decide, they find that there is a tunnel 
that can lead out to, uh, to the sewer to where there's a car sitting. And Apollo Creed's trainer is the guy that ends up getting the, the, the shortest straw. So he gets the job, he gets out there, he pulls it off. Uh, he's about ready to f- drive right to a phone. Presumably the same phone that the uh, the dad was about to make a phone so call from. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh yay, he's gonna get he's gonna get get out of there. And then a guy pops up in the back seat, shoots him shoots in the him. head, yep. and then it's it's Curtis. So from there they end up creating a plan where they're going to uh, go in the basement and they're going to allow this all these criminals gang members to to basically come in there and get bottlenecked and get bottlenecked in a hallway and as this is happening there happens to be this huge metal sign that looks like it was like a vote for like a voting sign or something i can't remember what it said exactly i thought it said something about a sheriff and they hold it up while holding back all these criminals and there's a tank of acetylene is that Mm, what it was and they had flares affixed to it and then bishop shot it while all these criminals were in the in the hallway bottlenecked blew them all up they were protected by the sign and as this is all happening the authorities are finally realizing what's going on and then they come in and they see what's happened um cut to uh bishop and napoleon walking up the steps and i believe he asks got a smoke got a cigarette again one more time well first remember the bishop reprimands one of the cops that tried to arrest yeah yeah he wanted he wanted to walk wilson out so he can experience the outsider freedom one more time yeah he asked him to go walk up it would be an honor for you to walk up with me exactly no indication that he's gonna let him go but there is an indication of some kind of like shared mutual respect respect. not enough to break the law but as we'll see someone may Get in that, get that in their head <laughs> a little later in yeah. a remake that we're going to be talking about. So that's the original. Yep. Let's talk about the 2005 remake. Sounds good. Assault on Precinct 13, 2005, is a French-American thriller directed by Jean-Francois Richet. Stars Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne. Cast is star-studded. Also includes John Leguizamo, Maria Bello, Ja Rule, Drea DiMatteo, Brian Dennehy, and Gabriel Bryan. It's a loose remake of John Carpenter's 1976 film of the same name with an updated plot. Uh, uh, one thing I want to mention about 2005, the John Carpenter had another movie remade in 2005 called The Fog. Really? Yeah. So it remakes all remakes around just, 2005. It was, like, it was a, a hot year, year for remake. Yeah. Salt on Precinct 13, 2005, similar to 1976, was not a financially successful film. Uh, it is widely considered a box office failure. Made on a budget of $30 million, it went on to earn $35.3 million worldwide. On New Year's Eve, Detroit Police Department Sergeant Jake Roenick, veteran cop Jasper O'Shea, and Secretary Iris Ferry are the only people on site at the soon-to-be-closed Precinct 13. Roenick is a desk-bound and abusing alcohol and prescription drugs, haunted by a botched undercover operation eight months prior that resulted in the death of two of members of his team. I actually think that that scene the, is the intro of the film. I've talked about this in the past. I think it's one of the best intros to any movie. Like, I absolutely adore the intro of this film. It's it's up there with the one from The Dark Knight, definitely. That's like, a great it gives you, it's If this movie was more of a character-driven film, which it it kind of tried to be, but I don't think it quite made it. But if it was, that would this would have been this was a solid intro for a character-driven film. Uh, to continue, psychiatrist Alexandria Sabian is treating Ronick at the station. Crime Lord Marion Bishop is arrested when he kills an undercover police officer. 
Two Sheriff's Department deputies are transferring Bishop with three other criminals. Addict ex-lawyer Beck, Petty Crook Anna, and counterfeiter Smiley. When a raging snowman, snowstorm shuts down the roads, the transport bus is directed to nearby Precinct 13. Masked gunmen cut off the precinct's communication, attack the station, kill the deputies, and demand Bishop be handed over to them. The lawmen believe the attackers to be Bishop men. When they kill one of the attackers, they discover he is from a crew of undercover officers led by Captain Marcus Duvall of Precinct 21. Rather than trying to avenge the cop that Bishop murdered, they are actually Bishop's crooked partner in crime. Bishop talked, when talked. Bishop balked when Duvall and his crew demanded a larger cut. So Duvall and his men, starting with the original dead cop, are trying to kill Bishop before he can testify about their involvement. A heavily outnumbered outgun, Ronick sets free and arms the prisoners to bolster the defense of the station. Ronick and Bishop forge an uneasy truce between the cops and criminals as both groups know they will be killed by Duvall to protect his secret. The combined efforts repeal several more attacks. Off-duty cop Capra, who has been partying and wants to make a move on Irish, returns to the station. Duvall's men shoot at him, but he makes it to the precinct. Beck believes that Capra is a plant for Duvall, but Ronick vouches for him. Beck doesn't believe him and tries to attempt a mutiny, but Bishop sides with Ronick and forcefully reminds Beck that Ronick is in charge. With Capra's vehicle outside the front door, Beck and Smiley secretly plan to make a break for it. At the same time, the rest of the defenders are planning to use the vehicle with Anna and Dr. Sabian volunteering to be the driver and gunman in an effort to get the help. Beck and Smiley happen to sneak out first, both getting killed by Duvall's men, inadvertently providing a distraction for Anna and Sabian to get away. Duvall had anticipated this and hit in Kane, another criminal cop, uh, his second in command in the back seat. Kane kills Anna, then Duvall kills Sabian after she refuses to give intel on Precinct 13 defenders. One thing I love about this movie is that it's a love letter to the first one. Yeah. And it has a, it's almost the exact same scene that we talked about the first one when. Yeah, when they're in the car and then the guy pops up and, and shoots some souls. And it happened to, as you said, Apollo Creed's trainer here. It happens to Maria Bell's character that they're getting away. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. With only five defenders left alive, Ronick and Bishop decide to take action instead of waiting for another attack. When someone inside unlocks the back door, they suspect Capra to be a mole for Duvall and put him in handcuffs. The storm eases just enough to allow Duvall to call in some corrupt SWAT officers by helicopter who land on the roof of Precinct 13. The defenders set fire to the station and cover their escape and flee through utility tunnels underneath the building. Emerging from the tunnel, they find themselves surrounded by the corrupt policemen. The real Duvall insider is revealed to be O'Shea and Duvall prepares to execute the rest. Ronick and Bishop kill O'Shea, with Capra and Iris fleeing in Duvall's vehicle in the confusion. When Kane shoots out their tires and moves him for the kill, Iris manages to kill him with his own knife. Ronick and Bishop are chased into a small urban forest where they work together to survive the final confrontation with Duvall and his remaining men. Duvall wounds both of them before Ronick finally manages to kill Duvall. Bishop, more mobile of the two, takes Ronick's gun and flees, with Ronix promising to personally arrest him in the future. When Iris arrives with the police, fire, and medical services, Ronick claims that only he and the dead cops are present, giving Bishop a head start. Yeah, so that's the rundown of the film. One interesting thing that I uh, read about it, that uh, when it was originally going to be remade, it was uh, the role of Ronick, 
Ethan Hawke's character was offered to Marky Mark, <laughs> of all folks. That's interesting. And, I don't know, I mean, I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke. I think he is very... I don't want to say he's underrated. I just think that he doesn't make a lot of high-profile... I can't think of too fare. many movies of him other than this and Training Day. Like, I was trying to think. I know he's done a lot of other films, but I couldn't remember what. You know what I mean? Those are two of my more favorite okay. police-slash-action oh. cop um, movies. Um, and he makes kind of offbeat stuff, which is I find interesting. Some of it's a little too offbeat for me mm-hmm. and, and downright boring, possibly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think he's an interesting actor and makes interesting choices, and he's always good in what he what he is what, and what he's doing. And he was to me made the movie on Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I don't necessarily think his character was the strongest, but his acting was. I think he was really. It goes like for me. It goes to the very beginning of the movie. I thought that was some of his best stuff. And I thought that he did good, and I thought that Lawrence Fishburne did good. I feel like this is a yeah. Morpheus is always good. As a, this like is this. like prime Lawrence Fishburne era. Like this, yeah. is, this is like right before he gets old. Essentially, like he's, yeah, yeah. he's making the action movies. He's kicking ass. I think that Event Horizon had come out a couple of years earlier than this. We know that that's one of the worst movies ever. That was what the head slapped heard around the... The theater. The theater. <laughs> yes, it was yes. just so brutal. But yeah, I like this movie a lot. The ship has been to hell. <laughs> yes, it How does horrible. the ship go to hell? I like, again, I say, when I say this is a love letter to the original movie, I like that Lawrence Fishburne's character is named Bishop, just like the character is named Bishop in the first movie. Yeah, there's a couple interesting things that I that I like, that how they played with it, how they twisted the... Not twisted, but like flipped the uh, from the original... They flipped the races of the cop and the criminal. Yeah. So now the, the cop is a white guy and the criminal is African-American. They took the name from the original cop and mm-hmm. gave it to the to Lawrence Fishburne's character. Yes. The bad guys are now the cops and not the gang. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier off mic that there's probably no way this movie gets made in today's day and age. A couple of things. In, like, the, in this kind of incarnation of it where the cops are the, the bad guys. Bad well, guys. Don't forget because the cops are kind of the bad guys in the first movie too. Like one thing that was interesting about that first movie is like they brutally kill these six kids. Yeah. And you hear like in a radio announcement where the guy's like though the commissioner admits that the police are using deplorable tactics you never hear police speak that way either. Like, it's not deplorable tactics. Like, it was just, like, a bad situation. So the cops kind of start off as not, not so good. And yeah. this is what starts that, you know, blood oath, if you will, the cause of vengeance. But, yeah, two things. It's hard to see a movie now where cops are just bad guys. Like, the cops here are just the bad guys. It's like, it's, I yeah. think it's even a line in there. I only see one cop here. That's, that's what Ethan Hawke says. You know what I mean? They're, they're all bad guys. And the other thing that I find about this movie, like, I really liked this movie back in the day. I still like it. I find it hard now to enjoy these movies, these high, highly stylistic, violent movies, like the Quentin Tarantino stuff. Like, I love it still, but in today's day and age where we have so many, I hate to say and even remotely get political, we have so many mass shootings, it's kind of hard to sit through movies where it's like hyper-realistic mass yeah. shootings. And that's kind of what this was, like... I remember you when just I first... watch the news and see that. Exactly. Whereas, I think that's why, we talked about this, how, like, you get frustrated with superhero movies... Because the violence, they don't account for the actual violence that the toll would take. Yeah, you remember you knock down a building, thousands would die, right? Shoot someone in the leg in a in a movie. Like you could do it as graphic as possible, shooting someone in the leg or even in the chest in a movie. If you knock down a building, even though you're not seeing it, you know a bunch of people passed away, right? Crazy. And we're in these movies, like I say, you think about the movies from like 1995 to 2005. It was was a lot of like just ultra violent film. Like that's like the golden age of that era, and a lot of it. As I say, it has to do a lot with Quentin Tarantino and like everybody that tried to be like him. And this is one of those movies that felt that way, where it was like 
so many headshots. Like they were just like this was like this headshot, was like a video headshot, game. Yeah. headshot. You're like damn, was like the was... saving grace. Like it wasn't like a graphic. First, there was no little girl that was shot dead. You know, center mast. Second, a lot of it was just like headshots, execution style. And like as I say, I still I'm not some sort of prude, and I can still watch violence, but like. As I'm watching it now, I was like, "Wow, this is this is like almost hard to sit through on some levels, you know." And and it's not even that bad compared to some of the stuff that comes out later that was even going on at time. But again, I bet you now, very hard to get this movie made because nobody wants to sit through that kind of violence, and you can't make the cops bad guys, which is probably yeah. right. You know what yeah. I mean? I also found it interesting that that it t- that they moved it to Detroit and the winter, which seems like a way better plot device to get the get you into a, into a thought process that yeah they could be in a snow like we've all been in a I mean not we have all but anyone who's been in the city of Milwaukee has been trapped in their home in a snowstorm like if something bad happened like there's a good chance that it's going to take a long time for any help to get to you and like you significant can, like professional help cops. and like the the desolation of being in this kind of cold blizzardy thing is totally true and we're like you couldn't hear stuff we talked about how like the first one set in a ghetto in Los Angeles and there's this great mass shootout. Even if it's like an industrial area, how can there nobody have heard it? Like how can how can nobody have heard it? And it's not an industrial area. There's homes there apparently. Where if you're in the Midwest or you're in Milwaukee in a blizzard and it's like forty degree wind and you can't hear anything, you might not hear and even in, gunshots. In particular, you know? I mean, I know this was before the housing crisis when this movie came out, but like there was a lot of urban blight in Detroit at this time. So you could totally see in the middle of winter in in the heart of the city. Probably surrounded by urban blight. They did not appear that they were in a well-populated area to begin with. Period. And, you, I mean, there was a forest, like, right across the street, from what I understand. They ran off, So they exactly. were kind of, like, on the outskirts of the city. And, like, one thing we talked about, I felt like... I like both movies an awful lot. I feel like, you said it best, the first one, the 76 film, there's, like, no fat. Like, it's, like, a serious action film. Like, it an was, hour and 30 minutes of yeah. just... There no, there's no character development. Like the only character that they really develop is, is this Napoleon, the bad guy, and the cop a little a bit, a little bit, he, yeah. He the, but the Napoleon guy kind of he he says something like like he's had bad timing. Like he gets a couple lines where you kind of get an insight to like w- that he probably had a hard upbringing and that's where he became how criminal. he became a criminal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cop you don't really get too much into his his backstory outside of you know he's he his a, first day lieutenant. So yeah, he been, so. he's been doing it for a while. You know that he came out of the ghetto at twenty and that he wasn't taken out that he walked out yes, like that kind yep. of stuff. So you, yeah, that's one of the lines. Yeah. Um, I felt that though it was longer, we talked about this how the first one's an hour and a half, the 2000 film is an hour and 49. Like, the plot was tighter. Like, I, I, I give the director, the French guy, a lot of credit and like how he. I stand by it. It's like a love letter to the first one. And I think that you said it, that he had a couple of superfluous characters, which, yeah. which I agree with you there. But I think that there was enough quick exposition and something I found hilarious. I would be remiss not to mention it. So. Today, as of recording, March 2019, Ja Rule is a not-loved figure <laughs> in the world right now, partially because of his role in the Fire Festival, and uh, based on two documentaries that are out right now. And in one of the documentaries, specifically the one on Netflix, he comes off as a con man. He comes off as a fraud. His character, Smiley, and I just found it absolutely hilarious when I saw the film, the very first introduction is something like, you know, I was paraphrasing, he's like... 
this dude's a con man. He's like, if you need a fake Rolex, <laughs> talk to him. Like, when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, it was so funny. Again, there was exposition explain the characters real quickly, so you didn't have to develop the imitating life in this, in this case. And there were no, like, holes, whereas... There were some holes in the first one. We yeah. Like, Why is this when I was mind? watching the the, the the like I saw I saw in its entirety the 2005 version first. Mm. That one, like a lot of action movies, you can be like, well, why didn't they do this? Well, why did this happen? It's like, covered all you're in the stuff. middle of freaking yeah. snowstorm. They, the <laughs> cops are coming after you. You know they have unlimited resources. The only thing that was dumb now was that somehow the cops cut off the cellular service. Like I don't think that would happen. I don't yeah, know could do I don't, that. Yeah. Unless, I mean... Well, it was... Uh, I'd have to go back and watch it. I, I remember it, it coming up, but it was it was, it was was before smartphones, definitely. So they, were, they could somehow possibly block... I think they were... I don't think it works that way. But whatever. I'm but not I think they were blocking it. the cellular signals or something like that from coming in. Yeah, I, I still know. don't think you could do that. But whatever, fine. And if you could, for me, that was the only one. Otherwise... Everything else was pretty tight, the way they covered it. Like, it, it, the, the cops cut off the phone. There's no electricity because it's going to get shut down. Just like the first movie. Like, the, the first movie was really good, too. But it was the parts that, like, made you suspend your disbelief in the first one that made it a little bit harder to go through. Whereas the second one, you, it was not... It was a lot easier to suspend your disbelief because they covered it so well, yeah, in my opinion. Definitely. But yeah. that being said, like you said, in terms of just... They're both great action flicks. The, the, the thing is that there's just no... Fat John Carpenter's movie. It is just direct, just direct, just direct. It's Whereas, almost, it's almost uh, in this day and age. It's all, it's almost like off-putting how direct it is. An assault, I'm not, you're not used to up. seeing movies that move like that. And and I, I kind of had the same feeling with uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. That movie just got right to it, right? So did this. So did Assault the '76 version. The 2005 version of it kind of meandered a little bit. Because it got, set up characters. It got right into the, got right into the balance. It got right into the action. But while it's doing that, just like you say, in the middle of it, it tries to give you the character arcs. Which yeah. is okay. Slightly unnecessary uh, for some of them. I thought, the, I thought you probably could have shown that Ethan Hawke's character was a drug-addled, you know, had a lot of issues you without, made the point already her. from the very well you yeah. made the because the, I think that we were talking about how they were kind of superfluous right so John Leguizamo's and, and John Rule's character are kind of a combination of or basically are are Apollo Creed's trainer right and the and so the, is the, the, the African American woman and the two girls are essentially the sick or, or basically you know what I mean they, 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 yeah. they, they like they made more characters out of the three characters in the first movie is what I'm trying to say and so like one of the reasons you you need John Leguizamo was because he's an addict, so he shows you know empathy with with Ethan Hawke being an addict. Again, you don't really need that. We know that Ethan Hawke's an addict from the very after the excellent introduction. The very first scene is him taking a shot of alcohol, waking up, yeah, and then popping, popping pills. pills yeah. Like no one in their right mind thinks that that's a functional way to, or that's a successful <laughs> way to function. Like we do. Yeah. Like, for a human, like, for anyone not. else, for a cop in particular. <laughs> yes. We get it. He's, he's drunk. And there's even lines like with the exposition. That's the one thing that I, as I was watching the movie, I didn't like about it. They talk a lot of the stuff. Like, yeah. like they tell it to you. Like, and it's like, I'm not dumb, but but it's not over the top of it. But it's a little bit. I like, did notice, and I, and I think that we're kind of conditioned to that now because when I was watching the '76 version, I was like, "How come they're not saying exactly no what's happening?" Exposition. It's there's just, nothing. It's there's, there's very little dialogue. Like yeah. things are just happening, and I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, 
You know what? That's just like how life works. You don't really like sit there and like talk about everything that's happening while it's happening. Well, it's and, just happening, and then you and then you dissect it later on your podcast. And it, well, it goes back to what we do on our side when we talk about writing and like showing stuff in exposition, or even in your film, like 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 how it, like the classic directors hate exposition. Just cut that off. Like the, the yeah. guys that make the famous westerns. Like I can't remember the guy. The guy that did the Searchers. Like he hated exposition. All he was like, just show me. You know what I mean? Like and, and you get so much exposition. That's almost over the top. Like even when Gabriel Bryan, once again, is like former cop, five years under undercover. Now he's a drug addict. Like yeah, okay, we get it. He's on drugs. Like, 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 Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> but oh like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I thought he was. I thought maybe he was just, just you know, experimenting. Exactly. He's an addict. And so that's better. And so like when we formed the thesis of this, I had problems because it was like, which is a better movie? Could have been one of the thesis, right? Or for me. I actually just look at it like the Star Trek episode where now I just got to study a piece of alternative history as opposed to saying which one was better. Because because they're so loosely based, I, I found that I actually liked them both an awful lot. Like, I really did. And I found flaws in both of them, and I found parts that I loved for both films. I just kind of wish everyone would see them. Yeah, I think I if like you them. watch any movie and examine it like we need to, whether you're doing it for a review or for a podcast or whatever, or whatever, you know, if you're a professional at it or if you're just amateurs like us who, who run their own podcast... I mean, you can find anything to pick apart, right? Mm. So to say that, you know, by picking apart some of these character flaws with the Ethan Hawke's character that, or, you know, there there's too many, you know, unnecessary characters, does that make it better than the other? I don't think that that's where I want to go either because where I want to go with this is that I, I really enjoy both of the movies. I think that there's elements that of each movie that could have made the other movie better. Mm-hmm. And I think that, Watching them both is is a good way to enjoy both of them, you know. Seeing how the '76 movie could have made, been made better, and seeing how the 2005 movie could have been made better. Totally you know? right. I mean, well, I think the ideal movie, if you kind of melded them both together, would have been to have the horror elements happening in the winter in Detroit, you know, yeah. with the character who was a little bit main character who was a little bit like the cop who was a little bit more flawed and get a little bit more background to them. Yeah. I think if you cut out some of the other side characters just focus on that and then use that wintering wintry setting you have a good point because at the point at the end of the day the two criminals are very similar bishop and wilson like there's not yeah. like, you get that they're bad guys but you also get that like their hands might have been forced to being bad guys and if they weren't yeah. bad guys they might have been okay dudes criminals with maybe a heart, heart of gold. gold you know like, like and, and again and that's why they they work. The movies work because you don't maybe more like silver much. because he was a little bit but again we're, we're, you're totally right like we're where one or one was better, one was one was as good. That's not where I want to get lost. I I just want people to watch both these movies. Both the movies both are fantastic, and I think they sure. work together really well. One thing I did want to uh, mention too, how we how we said that you probably couldn't make a version of this uh, now, just the way they made it in two thousand five. You probably couldn't make it at all because like if they if they came and like were assaulting you know your precinct, you'd just been like, oh wait, let me just text somebody. Like oh uh, oh uh, we need to get away. Uh, let's just call an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Uber works like, that way. Do you have tanks? Can you send oh, a uh, Bradley over here uh, to come rescue us? <laughs> so, yeah, you really, it, it was made in a time and era. Both of them were made in a time and era where yeah, they fit. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't think you could make another remake of mm-hmm. it unless you really, really could did it out like in the middle of nowhere. Or make it a period piece. Yeah. Right? Like, because I think, I think that that's what the thing about these, this, like, 
the stylistic violence. You have the first film set in 1979, so the stuff we talked about, stuff like Mad Max, stuff like like The Warriors, stuff like Bad Boys, stuff that's like violence, like this realistic kind of violence that we have going on. Like Raging Bull comes out in this yeah. era, you know? And then you have the 2005, it's right after the, it's basically under the shadow of Quentin Tarantino. And that movie feels like a Quentin Tarantino kind of film. To your point, things have changed so much that you really can't, it has to be a different kind of like you'd have to go back in time basically you'd have to be set it in a different era where like you can make people comfortable watching violence again because now it's the only way to do it is in superhero movies is like that's the only way people can really enjoy like yeah. mass destruction because yeah, it's like yeah, you, you can yeah. disassociate and you're not actually scared of something like that happening unless you're some sort of superhero fool like me and <laughs> you just want it to be real <laughs> Superman wouldn't do that to everybody I'm making him stop making him so bad. But uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed both of the movies, and I think I think you should watch them both. I definitely. agree totally. So there you have it. That's Assault on Precinct 13. So uh, this was the last episode of our season. So there's a couple things I wanted to to mention before we uh, before we let everyone go. the The music that we use for the podcast, outside of the intro and the outro music, that's all gotten from uh, the Free Music Archive website www.freemusicarchive.org and it is powered by KitSplit which is another website. They actually purchased them, um, help them keep Free Music Archive around and there's a lot of great music on there. If, uh, that's a great website to go to. Uh, all the music's free. Just got to make sure the license uh, allows you to uh, to chop it up a little bit, put it on your podcast. So if anyone's interested in any of the music we used on any of the episodes this season, just shoot us an email and we'll be sure to let you know. And the intro and outro music, I just wanted to thank Transpanda for the song, You, It's Everywhere. Big shout out to Transpanda, for sure. And hopefully they'll be saying that about us soon. (laughs) You, It's Everywhere, about this podcast. That'd be nice. A couple other things, so... We're uh, we're taking some time off. We're gonna be we're gonna be coming back with some other stuff, some different stuff. I don't want to uh, talk about it in particular just yet, just because we're still ironing out some things. Uh, but we will be back with the Alternative Fisher podcast at some point in the not too distant future. Like the James Bond, like the, the end of the James Bond movie, it says James Bond will return. Yes, Alternative Alternative History podcast, History podcast will return. return in season uh, three. And in the interim, we're going to be uh, doing some stuff. We're also going to be working. We're, we're writers. We're trying to get published here. Did self-publish a story called Permanent. You're on Amazon. Yes, buy it's on it. Amazon. Buy it. it was, it's about when I was 12 years old and I, I got a perm. And we talked about that in the first episode of our podcast. So if you're interested to find out the full story about how traumatic that was for me. Got to go read it. Go read it. It's yeah. terrible, terrible <laughs> things happened to me. You know, a lot of podcasts are moving into like YouTube and like pictures and stuff we're going to be moving into more of the written word so we're going to be looking into uh self-publishing stuff anyhow yeah so that's that's the uh, end of this season we hope everyone en- enjoyed the episodes uh, i know it took us a while to get them get through it but uh we're gonna say thank you and appreciate you listening let me echo that as i as i try to say often i know you guys could listen to whatever or do whatever with your time we really appreciate when you guys spend time with us yes you can find us on itunes uh iHeartRadio, google play pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts subscribe Stitcher. like thumbs up let us know please yep yeah please review two to three star review you know if you're feeling if you're feeling saucy maybe a four like i always say if you had a five put a five star review we know you did not listen <laughs> exactly